Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Varmint's Podcast. This is our national, pod, uh, national podcast posting month series of episodes called A Frog a Day. And we are not animal experts, but every episode we're going to do our best to educate ourselves and you, the listener, about all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet one animal at a time. We're on all the social things. You can find a list of them at linktree slash varmints podcast. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash varmints podcast. Or use your very favorite search engine and you will find us. Of weirdos today is me, Donna, Moss, Kurt, and our buddy Henry, the herpetologist from the Lincoln Park Zoo. This is our wrap-up conversation where we're going to answer our very last question that got cut off last time from Kate with Walinga, and then we're going to just basically discuss what we learned over the course of the month and just have a casual, friendly, little happy wrap-up chat about everything. Hello, everybody. Hi. Welcome back, Henry. Hey, thanks so much for having me back. Oh, thank you so much for coming back. So, I hope it's been a good month for you. I had a good holiday and all of that. Yeah, it's been pretty good. How about for y'all? Yes, definitely. We had a good time. Fantastic. Over here. I don't yeah, even know what you here. did, Moss. I relaxed and I did not work. That in and all things counts as a fantabulous holiday. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, any any holiday where you basically are not going. What do what did I forget? <laughs> yes. Well, let's get to Kate's question. We answered uh, at the last. The last recording with you got cut off, but we did manage to get her question about your background as a herpetologist answered whether or not people thought you you treated viral diseases as your <laughs> as yeah. your career right, 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 right. answered that so let's get to the other questions can you remind us Henry what her questions were and tell us what you're yeah, there some, say about it of course there are some really great questions from uh, from Kate one of the first questions that we needed to still address is what are your favorite lizard or amphibian species names? If I got to name a new species, how would I go about deciding what to call it? And what is a non-herpetological situation in which I have used my job skills? So is there any particular question you want me to start off with there? Yeah, just go from top to bottom. Let's get them knocked out so we can quickly move on to the rest of everything and that'll be just great. Sure can do, yeah. So I'll focus on one of my favorite frog 
scientific names is the strawberry poison dart frog. For those of y'all who are less familiar with this species, it is a really cool species of poison dart frog that's native to Central America. And its scientific name is Ophaga pumilio. And so to kind of break that down, the, uh, the my favorite part of this is the genus name, which is Ophaga. O meaning egg and Faga meaning to eat. And so it's the, and then Pumilio, I believe means little one. So it's the little egg eater. And what that is alluding to is this really, really cool life history strategy that these frogs implement to care for their young. Dart frogs are really excellent parents. They co-parent beautifully after the tadpoles hatch from the eggs that are laid on the leaf litter of the rainforest floor, the male and female will move those tadpoles up to bromeliads, which are these beautiful plants whose leaves grow in a cup shape. So those leaves will gather water over time and create perfect little nurseries for these tadpoles to live in, but they still need something to eat. And so the female will go around to her little nursery of tadpoles and lay unfertilized eggs for her babes to eat, which is a really cool strategy. So that's why they're named Ophaga, the little egg eaters. So that's one of my that's one of my favorite frog scientific names. That is really cool. And they're just so darn cute. Yeah. I did the I I did this month an episode that I thought the scientific name was really cool. I, I did those the teeniest weeniest frog, the guinea the new guinea one that we that you talked oh. about in your conversation. His name is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I now I can't remember what his name is, but it translates to the tiny baby frog near the village of ML. <laughs> oh, that's so perfect. <laughs> yeah, Pedophryne amelensis or something Amuensis. like that. Hey? Yeah, yeah. I think I have... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's wonderful. That's so cute. I love it. That's like weirdly specific. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, I just, I love it when scientific names, you know, there's like so much of academia and taxonomy, right, is like so stuffy and highfalutin. And I love it when, you know, the scientific names just describe exactly what the the critter does or like where it is. I think it's perfect. Yeah, the bonus bonus round is like one of my favorite salamanders is a uh, is called Eurasia lucifuga, which is it's a cave salamander and the sign the species name lucifuga means comes from Luke's light and fugare Latin word for to flee so it literally means light fleer because they live in caves oh, wow. and they don't like living out in bright spaces I think that that's pretty cool that's awesome so what's the next yeah. question that was in the list <laughs> yeah. The, the next question is, if I got to name a new species, how would you decide what to call it? And so I'll stick with what I just said. I'd want the name to reflect something about its ecology, something that tells you, you know, help, helps you learn about the animal just by looking at its scientific name. Right. You know, it's something that describes where it lives, how it lives, what color it is. There is a salamander species native to Costa Rica that was discovered a few years ago that is belongs to the genus Bolitoglossa. And it's just named Bolitoglossa auri because it's just golden. And aurum is the Latin word for gold. So it's just, you know, quick and simple. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, either, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So just either something to describe its physicality, its ecology, or, you know, maybe by the time I'm at the point in my career and I can describe something, I'd maybe want to name it after a family member or a loved one or something like that. Lots of folks like to do that. 
I like Diane's bare-hearted glass frog. Yeah. Say, say again. I said like Diane's bare-hearted glass frog. Yeah. It was uh-huh. named after a relative. Yes. But Very let, cool. For yeah. instance, we give you a pretend scenario of say you just discovered a brand new species of frog that just hopped into your bathroom one day. And first, and you were like, <laughs> oh my gosh, this species has not been identified. How, how is that possible? Well, never mind. I get to name it now. What would you call it? Oh my God. Again, maybe I'll have, if there's like, if you have some ideas about some fun ecological characteristics about it, shout out. But, uh, I mean, it does live in your bathroom. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, it'd be like Henry <laughs> bathroomicious or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, let's, what is, let's what say, is, what is let's water say that, closet? right. Well, I'm trying Ooh. to remember, I think tepidarium. So is a tepidarius might be a good uh, scientific <laughs> name for like a bathroom. Right. So like the Roman, you know, the the Roman bathhouses, uh, they had yeah. a bunch of different rooms to them. There was like the, the tepidarium, the caldarium. Yeah. Those were like, I think the, the kind of antechamber and the hot chamber respectively. So maybe something right. like that, like maybe Ophaga, if it's like, if it's a poison dart frog, right? Maybe it's like Ophaga caldarius or something like that would be. Yeah, the caldarium was the hot the room. Bathroom yeah. Poison. Yeah. And the bathroom yeah, the yeah, tepidarium yeah. was the yeah. medium room. They had like three yes, different exactly. flavors of water. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then the, and then the, there was also the frigidarium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the cold yeah. um, the cold room. So you would go through right. to get your different temperature. Right. Yeah, well, uh, treatment going. So maybe something like that. You never yeah. know what could happen. Stuff like that does happen <laughs> in in nature. Exactly. Science. So what's the uh, what yeah. the question? The last question after that was yeah. What's a non-herpetological uh, situation in which I have used my job skills? Yeah. And I think that, you know, doing podcasts, I suppose, would be something like that. You know, a situation yeah. where I do that. I also think that, uh, you know, I, I, I can't remember if we talked about this earlier in the pod, but um, I'm an illustrator. And so a lot of my art is very much informed by my work as an ecologist. Right. And so I like to draw a lot of inspiration about ecological factors, you know, in either herpetofauna or other groups of animals to kind of convey human experiences. And I was just drawing. I was uh, having a, a nice sensitive day, but there's a lot, you know, I was uh, having an emotionally challenging day um, a few weeks ago. Um, but I also like to, you know, while there's hardship in that, there's also a lot of strength that I like to draw from emotionally raw days and so I was thinking about salamanders and in North European folklore salamanders are fire spirits folks yep. would throw wet logs on their fire and then they would see beautiful yellow and black and orange salamanders crawling out of them and they'd be like oh my gosh fire spirits that's crazy they weren't you know aware that they were just burning those poor critters homes right. I, just the, the <laughs> right. mythos of, of of this of this really soft squishy animal being a combination of like of all these elements of earth, fire, and water, and and being you know soft 
and vulnerable, yet also resilient and fiery. I thought that that was a really great way to reflect on, you know, what emotions I was feeling in that day. So I would say that that's how I like to apply the ecology of the animals that I study to my own personal experience and my artwork. That's really cool. So let's go around the table and talk about what we learned the most uh, what, you know, what was the most in, important or interesting thing that we all learned doing our study of frogs this month? And uh, I'm not going to start with me. I'm going to start with Kurt. Kurt, what was the bestest, most important, weirdest thing you learned about frogs this month? Well, I didn't realize that frogs actually breathe through their skin. I knew that they, you know, they had to keep wet for some reason, but I didn't realize mm-hmm. that they actually you know, took in oxygen that way, and that they could also breathe through the skin in their mouths. Mm-hmm. Nor did I realize that there were completely aquatic frogs that lo- that don't lose their lungs or don't lose their gills when they become frogs. You know, there's not very many of them, but there's a few apparently. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, super cool. And so mm-hmm. that kind of is like, oh, okay, that makes more sense because I I think it says something really really interesting about the way evolution works is that frogs have lungs, but they're lousy lungs <laughs> compared to, <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> mammals and birds. And so they've got these extra things. It's like it just kind of kludged together enough different ways of getting oxygen into the system that it works. Right. Because yeah. they're right. sort of like... It was like nature's you know, first go around. <laughs> and it's apparently been working for yeah. a very, very long time because frogs are a very old family. <laughs> they're extremely old. Mm-hmm. They're, they're older than dinosaur, right. you know. So, you know, that was, it's like, yeah. it, 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 and nature doesn't change things that don't need changing. So it's apparently been working for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah, evolution works on an enough is sufficient principle. <laughs> <laughs> right. Good enough to get to the next generation, right? Exactly. Yeah. I see no reason <laughs> to change this as it seems to be working. Do you get babies who make babies? Because if you have babies that make babies, then you are fit. That's fitness. That's the definition of yeah. fitness. <laughs> and it's not about how strong you are or how smart you are or anything. It's about how lucky you are and how, you know, how 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 decently you avoided predators. Basically, did you did you live to make babies? And did those babies make babies? <laughs> Enough is sufficient. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's literally the scientific way of saying, dude, this is the way we've always done it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to stop just because you think you got a better idea. Yeah, that's right. Moss, what did you learn that you thought was super interesting that you never knew before? So I, I'm going to split this almost into two separate categories. But for one mm-hmm. thing, I love all the different fabulous names that I've run across just doing various research. Everything from from the giant ditch frog to the hairy frog. And now my favorite new frog name myself is Synapturanus zombie, the zombie frog. (laughs) I'm doing one of my one of my episodes on here and, uh, you know, just recently discovered in 2021. And I and I love the fact that not only is that a cool name right there, but it's not even because of how the frogs look. It was how the, the, the guy who discovered them 
Raphael Ernst thought all of the other research scientists looked like zombies when they were coming out of the pit digging for fro- for these frogs to try and find more. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> and I still don't know what Synapteranus translates into, uh, but that is that is on my list of to-do items to, uh-huh. to find exactly how that translates. But just the zombie frog is, is fantabulous. Uh, but as far as learning, I was not quite aware of, of how many different reproductive strategies are being successfully just deployed by frogs like we talked mm. about in the first show and i did a segment on the Suriname toad which mm-hmm. is one of my all-time favorite frogs yeah and how you know and how they 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 keep the the eggs under the mother's skin until they're ready to hatch and spew into the world right uh, Versus other frogs that will 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 incubate effectively, almost incubate in their mouth. They'll incubate on leaves, in in funnel plants, in all sorts of ways and means in order to get the tadpoles to adulthood, or at least you know young adult froglethood. So that was that was my learning experience, and that was really fun for me. Amazing. So what I learned that I didn't <sighs> know or didn't ret- retain was. Because I dissected frogs in high school, so I thought I would remember this, but I didn't. That frogs don't have ribs. Frogs don't have a rib cage. They have, they have a spine, of course, because they're vertebrates. They has no ribs, which is why they do the buccal breathing and the different breathing systems. They don't have, they don't have the ribs to help them protect their organs and to aid in respiration, and they don't have a diaphragm which is crazy. Mm-hmm. So they do that. That's why they have all those respiration systems. And Kurt did a special episode about their re- respiration systems that was pretty cool the other day. So yeah, I just, but I don't know why I didn't remember that because I certainly dissected one. <laughs> it was fun. I was like, <laughs> oh, this is really interesting. And somehow it just never sunk in like, oh yeah, these guys don't have a rib cage, which is super I, I was wondering, does that, I haven't checked, does that apply to a lot of other amphibians? Do salamanders not have a rib cage? Do, is it a pretty common thing when you are a creature of Dewata and Deland? <laughs> That's something that I would have to double check. I am abysmally poor at anatomy, honestly. Mm-hmm. I will admit that. Mm-hmm. So that would have to be, that would have to be something that I would double check. I'd imagine if, yeah, I'd imagine since frogs are not the first amphibians to evolve, that if they don't have a rib cage, then presumably salamanders also do not. But yeah, just because they evolved first. But let me, I can. You're just really gonna check real quick. Go right ahead. We do that a lot yeah. on this show, where somebody will be like, "I don't know, let's look." <laughs> yeah, like I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to say one way or the other. It's not like years ago if we were running a radio show and we'd have to run down to the library. We can just kind of look it up now. So, <laughs> right. Google is a wonderful thing because yeah, you can tell when you are. <laughs> yeah, reptiles have rib cages and, and they surely do more developed structure. Yeah. yeah. But I, I'm with Donna. I totally had forgotten that frogs don't have rib cages myself. Yeah, as I well. didn't I know that either. I, I did don't not think know I that either. And there are certainly I ever knew it. Right, right. <laughs> Very good point. So it is. It is certainly looking like 
Salamanders definitely have ribs. They're not hyper developed like you might see in birds or mammals, but salamanders definitely do have ribs. Okay. So that is an anatomical feature that the frogs lost. The frogs were like, well, we don't need these to make babies. Let's get rid of it. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and yeah. then the other yeah, thing yeah. I thought was interesting was the teeny weeny guys, the microhylids. They have lost a vertebrae. Right. And so I imagine yeah. that helps you stay small is to, to get rid of one of those vertebrae. I was going to say, so what, what we've got with frogs is, what do we not need, Ribbit? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, oh, my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> but you were saying, Henry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was saying that, um, yeah, because, like... In order to, they in order to have a little bit more skeletal structure to you know build all those excellent muscles that they use for hopping and jumping and stuff like that, you know their their whole spine has become severely or significantly reduced. You know the fusing of rib or, or vertebra, maybe losing a vertebra or two, um, to create that really stout uh, truncated body shape. So maybe that's right. you know uh, I guess losing the ribs was part of the part of the deal there. Yeah, really awesome. Okay, so does so, everybody have a favorite frog now? Out of all the ones that we've studied and talked about, frog, and I've only looked not at a just few of your them. ones, but uh, the other ones too. Sorry, what'd you say, Curtis? Oh, it's hard to say. Yeah, well, I, was Kurt, saying, I don't know that I've necessarily found my favorite frog yet. I mean, I said I don't know that I've necessarily found oh, my still, favorite you're still frog looking. yet because I haven't only, yeah. only looked at a few of them. <laughs> yeah, still looking. Of the ones I've encountered so far, we've got the Goliath frog, which is, you know, just yeah. cool for being immense. And then there's the yeah. boreal toad, which is cool for being a frog sickle. <laughs> I was like, I have decided I am going to defy the odds and live in a sub subarctic environment. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, my favorite before I started, it was interesting because I thought that I would have one replace my favorite, which was the little microhylid that lives with the tarantulas. Those are my favorite. And they're still my favorite because I can't think of a one that I think is the, the, they're all, all the frogs are cool and all of their strategies for living are amazing. But I am a person who likes pets and I can relate with a tarantula who has pets. And I think it's fabulous. It's amazing. It's so <laughs> it's so fun. They're so little. The spiders, the spiders pick up the little frogs, and they go, "Oh, this is my pet frog," and they put it down. And then they might eat other frogs. There are other frogs in the area that they actually feed on for their prey. And the tiny little microhylids that live with them, they're just like, "Nope, that's my pet or my guardian frog or whatever." Because the guardian frogs, <laughs> yeah, they eat the ants that prey on the spider's eggs. So it is a symbiotic relationship. They support each other, but it's still, I feel like I just, the picture of the spider picking up the little one and going, oh, that's my little pet. I feel like I can totally relate, you know, cause my hands are going down. Like, what is that a cat or is that a dog? When I'm playing a computer game and somebody's bugging me, then I might reach my hand down and go, aha, that's my doggy or whatever. <laughs> I just feel like it's relatable. It's just relatable. So they're so yeah, it's, it's, it's quality <laughs> content. It's quality natural content for sure. 
<laughs> what about you, Moss? Do you have a favorite? I don't know that I can pick a favorite at this point. I, I, right. I've always been a, a huge fan of the Suriname Toad just because I, watching videos of, of that frog are so entertaining to me. But we've run across so many other ones. Uh, a lot of a lot of ones have really tripped a a, a wire in me uh, based on their names. Like I really like the zombie frog. Uh, I love and I've always honestly, I always uh, really enjoy watching flying frogs. And now with 4K HD slow motion video, you can really see <laughs> how how gliding animals, especially like frogs and snakes and, and animals of that nature, manage to to navigate in the air when they're not really designed to. So that, yeah. that to me is always fun. So I really enjoyed the, the Wallace's flying frog for that reason. So I don't know if I have a favorite. I just think bugs are awesomely cool. Well, I, I, I think my superstar position was very close to being replaced by the pumpkin toad, which Megan did. Oh yeah. Oh really? That frog is nice. not very good at frogging and it's a really cute <laughs> Kurt knew, Kurt doesn't read up have about to be them good too. at its job when you're that cute no you don't dude, seriously yeah, you like, don't need to when you're that cute you don't need to have skills this, this frog is an exercise in <laughs> mediocrity <laughs> but so cute oh my right. gosh so Henry, what about you? Do, do yeah. you ever have a favorite frog or a favorite, you know, couple of different reasons? Uh, this frog is my favorite in this oh, area God. and this whatever. The most fun to study, maybe? Yeah, it's like, I, I, yeah, you hit the nail on the head with like, this is my favorite frog in this region, you know. I feel like I do need to have my favorite regional species. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh! Did I tell you the story in the first episode did, uh, that I was on? Did I tell you the story of Tuffy, the Rab's fringing no. tree frog? No. No. No, you did not. No. So this is, yeah, okay. So this is a species. This is probably this 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 species holds a very special place in my heart because I was working with this species when I was twenty years old, junior in college, and I was doing a scientific illustration and husbandry internship at the Atlanta Botanical Garden. And I was lucky enough to be working with some of the most endangered species from Central America, most endangered frog species from Central America. And one of those individuals was Tuffy. Uh, their name was Tuffy. Uh, he was a rab fringe limb tree frog. And I got to like photograph him in my little, you know, janky light box situation. You know, other photographers have the beautiful like, you know, lamps and, and, and diffusers and stuff like that. And I was just, you know, taking a picture under like a, a UV light in a uh, little plastic uh, white uh, laundry bin, <laughs> but still got some good photographs um, with him. And, and, and I illustrated him afterwards. And the reason why Tuffy is so special to me is because that frog was the last individual of his species when I was photographing him. And this was a species that was discovered in 2005 and was described as extinct in 2007, believed to be a casualty of the chytrid fungal epidemic. And just interacting with a frog species and with, you know, the concept of extinction, it was just a tons of tons of, you know, conservation concepts were running a million miles a minute through my brain and getting to have that intimate relationship with this animal really solidified my desire to be 
uh, conservationist and I guess more, more so told me that I was on the right track and that art can be a really effective way of communicating different kinds of conservation stories on top of the actual science work. So Tuffy will always have a super duper special place in my heart along with the other species that I got to work with over that summer. What a nice story. And that's awesome. That's great. So yeah. I finally heard from Megan. Megan said, oh my gosh, I forgot to message you. I am sick again and I've lost my voice. So Oh, no. That's why they are, they are not with <laughs> us today. But yeah, I hope they feel better. I said, what is your favorite frog after all this research? And they said, pumpkin toadlet for sure. So on board with us yes. uh, liking the yes. cutest little orange froggy. And I said... Yes, that's my friend Theo's favorite frog too. Uh, they said, do you, what do you... You know what I'm going to ask? Because I said, do you have any final questions or comments for Henry and they said you know what uh -huh. I'm going to ask and I said yes I do I do <laughs> okay so here's their question what are frogs <laughs> <laughs> the age-old philosophical question right what are frogs <laughs> what what's in a frog <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> A frog, Anything I that think it that we can eat a is in a frog. I... That's the answer. Right, right. It is what it eats. Oh my goodness. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's a great question. I think we touched a little bit on it, but um, frogs are this just really rad group of amphibians. Uh, amphibians being a group of animals that are made up of frogs, salamanders, and the lesser-known Sicilians. These animals evolved roughly 360 million years ago from lobed fin fishes. And a great example of a lobed fin fish is a uh, coelacanth. Um, that's a, a lobed fin fish that's still with us today, a living fossil. And these fish, you know, 360 million years ago thought, you know what, I'm going to grow some legs and I'm going to try this whole land oxygen breathing thing out. I'm going to give it a shot. And so we were gifted the amazing treasures, um, my sweet, my sweet mucus creating babies that are amphibians and, you know, frogs are one of them. And, and within amphibians, frogs belong to the group called Anura, um, which literally translates to without a tail. So it's these, you know, any, any amphibian that has really cute um, bulbous eyes kind of sitting on the top of their head, um, which believe it or not, they use to help them swallow prey because they don't have the same musculature that we do to help us swallow. They rely on just kind of pushing, <laughs> pushing insects and small mammals and anything else that they might eat down their gullet. And they have these really, we were kind of, we were talking about this earlier with, you know, they lack apparently ribs, which is new to me. That's really cool. But they have these really strong, shortened spines and really, really powerful leg skeleton, leg bones and, and muscles that help them hop or swim around. So, yeah, that's it. And most of them, you know, have four legs and most of them go through metamorphosis, uh, having a larval stage and then moving into an adult stage. But of course, many exceptions, you know, a number of exceptions to these rules. But yeah, that's that's. That's what, what a frog is. Excellent. And the more emotional answer being my whole frogs are my entire heart. I, I love me a frog. Well, I'm so glad we were able to 
get you some knowledge that you did not know with our little project. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Ribs, Absolutely. That you learned something too. <laughs> I sure did. We every 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 darn day. Absolutely. I am always telling people that are anti-science that scientists are the most open-minded the most seeking answers (laughs) the most ready to say i don't know if you're a good scientist and yeah uh, well (laughs) the good ones are that's for sure there are plenty of scientists who 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 hate saying i don't know but those are the those are the ones to maybe avoid and i get it (laughs) when you're when you're you think that you're right about something and then it turns out you're not it has to be a kind of a a blow it has to be pretty disappointing but to be able to get over that and go all right so let's start over <laughs> that didn't work let's being, do another being, a, being a good yeah. yeah absolutely being a good scientist i think has has so much to do with uh being of course a student of this of the study that you're always reach, researching but also being a a very good student of humility and just trying to always be like i've got so much so much potential for growth here and and i can take every anything in stride Yes, yes. More being more invested in the process. Right. As a scientist, you're always looking for the area the area of your that you're looking for that you don't know the answer. I'm trying to find mm-hmm. my frontier of ignorance. Right. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Ideally. I just did a picture of my I did a I'm working on a picture right now that I have decided to completely scrap and start over because mm-hmm. I was trying some new techniques and they didn't work with the paper I chose and uh, it was just yep, it's exactly. a disaster so it has to go in the bin and I imagine that yep, science good. is a lot like that absolutely absolutely tons of parallels there between art and science you gotta always always be down to try new things and and you know it's all it's always it's a, totally appropriate to be bummed when things don't work out but you know try and try your best to pick yourself up and move on with as big of a smile as you can well thank you so much for joining us again henry we appreciate every moment of your time that you were able to give us today and in the episode that we sat and talked with you before so i hope that we get a chance to talk to you again one day because it was super fun and I hope you have a really great holiday season. Thank you. Y'all too. It's been a total pleasure. Um, yeah, definitely hope to chat with y'all again. All right. This show is produced by me, Donna Hume, on land belonging historically to the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho Native American tribes who still live here in Colorado, by the way, with intro music by Infomercial USA and bed music by Chris Haugen. Our logo was created by Imran Javed. If you enjoyed our show, why not give a couple of bucks to buymeacoffee.com slash podcast. 90% of the proceeds go to the Wild Animal Sanctuary in Kingsburg, Colorado. And I'd like to take a moment to give a shout out to the project that Henry works on. Henry, can you please tell people what they can do to help out you guys' project over there at the Urban Wildlife Institute? Oh my gosh! Sure, if you want to check out us, uh, check out our website. If you uh, give a quick Google um, for the Urban Wildlife Institute and Lincoln Park Zoo, there are tons of ways for folks to engage. In specifically, Chicago Wildlife Watch. It is a really, really cool project that basically looks at how uh, wildlife distribute themselves and interact with the urban landscape. And we use trail cameras to identify animals and where they are. 
in the Chicago greater area, and you can help us process some of those pictures. We take thousands and thousands of photographs each year, and we need help identifying what animals are in specific photos so that we can better understand how they're utilizing the environment and help conserve wildlife species. So if you're interested in getting involved in that kind of a project, go check out Chicago Wildlife Watch and the Urban Wildlife Institute. Uh, give us a follow and uh, yeah. There's what if they want a, a wealth of information of how to get involved. I love doing that, by the way. It's one of my favorite, like stand in line at the grocery store things to do. I love to do that, to just go in and identify mm -hmm. animals. It's my favorite. It's one of my favorite things ever. And what if they want to just give you money? Yeah. What if they just want to give you a big chunk of change? Oh, gosh. Over at the Urban Wildlife Institute. Do they just uh, become a member of If you want to give us a big old chunk of change. So it's a, it's a little bit more complicated. You can, <laughs> if you are interested in donating directly to the Urban Wildlife Institute, you can maybe give our director, uh, Dr. Seth Magley, a quick email um, because he is much more familiar with the uh, ins and outs of working at a 501c3 nonprofit. It's a little complicated in terms of how we accept donations, but I'm sure that he'd be able to uh, give you a, a better you know, scope of how to do that. Um, and if you're interested in just donating to the greater Lincoln Park Zoo, um, there are definitely uh, donation pages available on the Lincoln Park Zoo's website. Excellent. Well, Seth, Dr. Seth is a, the brain of our show, and we really love and adore him very much here. So thank you so much for bringing him up again and reminding us. <laughs> so that's it. Mm -hmm. that's yeah, he's wonderful. He Thanks again for listening, everybody. And we're going to say it all together. So and until next time, be nice to animals. Excellent. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at podfix on Twitter, official underscore podfix on Instagram, at podfixnetwork on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network. Artist owned and loved.